Man, podcasts make me thirsty. Welcome back, my friends, to Direct to Podcast. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And we've got a really great show for you guys today. Uh, and it is brought to you by our sponsors, the Aidful Collective and Musicbed. Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and checkout process. And with advanced search filters like Include, Exclude, Beats Per Minute, Key, Song Build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Get 20% off your next license with coupon code DIRECT20. Again, that's DIRECT20. Learn more at musicbed.com new. This week, we're chatting with the director and producer of the upcoming film Searching, starring John Cho and Deborah Messing. Director Anish Chaganti and producer Sav Ohanian, who are also the co-writers of the film, tell us about the film and tell us a little bit about their own personal journeys and what got them to where they are today. Uh, the unique thing about this film is that it takes place entirely on a computer screen. When I first heard about this, I didn't really know how that was possible but after seeing the trailer i realized that it most definitely is so if you haven't seen the trailer yet go check it out now we'll wait pretty great right all right well uh here's seven and each seven and each thank you guys for being on the podcast today we're really glad to have you on here thank you um so yeah anish let's let's start with you maybe just give us a little bit about your background and background in film or just just your you know your your own interest what were some of the things you were interested in growing up yeah um so i like grew up i i like always wanted to be in hollywood i mean like from kindergarten onwards, I always knew like Hollywood was where I wanted to be. I think from middle school onwards, I realized that it was like filmmaking. There was a part of my life from like early kindergarten to like middle school where I was confused and thought I was going to be an actor. Um, and uh, <laughs> I would, I would literally, I would like tell everybody and I would act and everything. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be an actor. And then I realized like in, in middle school and especially in high school, when I started to make things and I was acting in it, that like, I realized like what I liked about acting was not acting, but like I realized I was the only person that I trusted to sort of like do what I was trying to do so that the piece would all be okay. Uh, and like the, the short film would be pretty good. Uh, and like, I couldn't communicate that. And then I, once I realized that I was like, Oh, okay. I think I like making movies. And uh, So throughout high school, basically I, I was making short films every weekend. Our, we had a pretty awesome film program at my high school and it was kind of oddly competitive, which is like the weirdest thing in the world. Um, but like we would all kind of work for a few months on one short film and we'd kind of come out with it. Uh, with like something that was, we tried to show off against everybody else uh, by the end of the year. So I was like every, every year in, in high school, I was always kind of like working towards that. And, you know, as far as my love for movies goes, like I have loved, I mean, my mom sort of like raised me on movies and raised me and my brother on movies uh, just growing up. I've said this before, but like, you know, like my, my 
when I was a kid, like my mom would like, like early in mornings on Fridays, we would open the San Jose Mercury news and like look up at timings for like, you know, big movies that were coming out that day. And then my mom would like pull me and my brother out of class early on Fridays to like wait in line so we could be first to get like the seats that we wanted at a movie that was opening that day. And so like I kind of grew up in an environment that was like so movie centric uh, on one end. And then on the other end, that was like very much like go chase your passion, especially for my dad. Um, and so like that eventually combined into being like, I think I want to be a filmmaker. And I was really glad to have a supportive enough kind of background or family to like be like, okay, like go do that. And I eventually applied to SC, got in as an undergrad there and, 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 and met Sev. But but that's sort of like how it all sort of came out. Like I was always watching movies as a kid and just like loved making movies. So after after college, what did your like professional career look like? What, what was the kind of the next steps into you know filmmaking after college? Yeah, it, uh, it sort of looked like a cliche. Uh, it was basically like um, I was like in a coffee shop every day, right? Op- with with like final draft open. Um, like the program. I don't know if anyone's listening who doesn't know what that is, but like the program that you write screenplays on. Um, like uh, at a coffee shop trying to write. And there was the project that I, that I was writing with Sev actually at the time. Um, and, you know, after college, it's like kind of scary because like there was not like I didn't have a job lined up or anything lined up. Uh, it was just sort of like trying to write something and kind of hoping that the right opportunity would open up. And I remember it was like eight months, seven months or something like where, I mean, and, you know, looking back on it now, how short of a time that was, but like it, you know, it was like probably like eight or nine months of just really, for me at least, waking up and being like, okay, well, what is going to happen with this script? Like, what's going to go on? Like, there's no idea of like what the end game is or like what, you know, what's going to happen to this idea or like if anything, opportunity is going to come your way. And it's sort of like a weird space where like it sort of requires like this like mental block of like just like not thinking too far ahead and, and, and stuff. But then eventually like we got a really, really cool opportunity through Google, through USC, through Sev, uh, to make a sort of a Google Glass um, kind of tech demo, basically. Uh, Google was giving out a bunch of Google Glasses to to film schools um, throughout the country and trying to sort of like um, uh, see if they were viable filmmaking tools, and which they're not, and they're dead <laughs> for that reason, basically, by the way. Um, uh, and Sev came on first and then brought me on and basically, like, when I first came on, the script that I was attached to was a death metal music video. And we never never ended up making that. But we realized, like, early on that Google Glass had no sort of no sort of marketing or commercials online. So we were like, why not just make them a commercial that they didn't pay for? And so we essentially used all of the $2,000, the, the massive funds that we had of $2,000 to just basically put me on a flight to India where I wore the same clothes, a wedding ring, and a Google Glass over my face for, like, 10 days straight came back to America, put the video together in the two and a half minutes, put that video online and it got a million hits. And then by the end of the weekend, he got 2 million hits. And that was like the end of that eight month mark where essentially like my life changed and real Google gave me a call uh, and was just like, Hey, do you want to work out in New York city? We have a department called the creative lab where you would be writing, directing and developing commercials. Do you, are you interested in that? And obviously I was like, hell yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, And so I kind of took that gig, uh, which was the sort of precursor to, to search and everything. But that was sort of the immediate life after college. At first, it, it was just coffee shops and cappuccinos and just being like, how am I going to pay for tomorrow's coffee? Um, and then uh, followed by 
I live in New York City. I live in New York City and I work for Google. I don't know how this happened. Why do you think that that film was so successful? Why do you think it struck a chord with people? Uh, the Google Glass one? Yeah. Um, I Well, okay. I'll be honest with you. And I, I, I'm sure I've said this to Seb. I mean, let me know, Seb, if I haven't. Told. I, I honestly think out of everything that I've ever made, that is the one thing that I wouldn't touch a frame of. Like, there's nothing that, like, there's... Like, I really think that piece is perfect. Like, and it's, 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 it's like, what is it? Two minutes and 28 seconds. I think it's what I love about it is like, is, and I, and I know this is what was seven I try to do when we write, but like, personally, it's just like, it's the perfect combination in my opinion of like thrilling and engaging, but also really, really emotional. And I think like at the end of the day, like what I love to do and the movies that I've always loved have been these really propulsive stories, you know, that like are very much rooted in a lot of heart. And that for me is a really, really awesome part about it. And the other big thing that I think this kind of falls into is that like that movie doesn't, there's no dialogue spoken in that film. Like you don't have to be a, an English speaker or an American or a Chinese person or an Indian or like, and you can, you can be a, a national from any single country and that concept still makes sense to you. It's just mm -hmm. a very primal idea about a about a kid. Spoiler: It's a two and a half minute video. Um, but like about a guy who's going home to tell his mom or to show his mom that he's about to have a kid with his wife. And like to me, that's like that's just you don't need you don't need language or culture or politics to get that. It's just universal, and it didn't have any words in it, which is why I think it was able to kind of spread online a lot quicker. Totally. So. Sev, let's uh, let's hear a little bit about your your backstory. I mean, I I know I know a few of your accolades, but um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's. How'd you get into producing? Was that always where you saw yourself in filmmaking? Um, I you know, growing up, I love film, uh, but I wasn't one of those kids that like grew up like acting in productions like a niche or like making my own movies with my friends. Um, actually like it all kind of started off cause I was trying to save my ass's grade. I, I was in, I was in high school, uh, in my last semester, uh, and I had a disease, uh, a really bad disease in high school called senioritis. Um, <laughs> and basically like I, I already got into the college I wanted to go to and I was like a few months away from graduating and I was really lazy and I had this AP environmental science class where I was getting a D in it. Um, and I was basically in danger of failing and if I failed the class, I would literally, not my college would take away my acceptance so i went to the teacher and i said hey i'm so sorry but is there any way i could do like a makeup thing she was like yeah you could write like a 10-page essay and you can and you'll save your grade you know i can maybe give you a c but i was <laughs> i don't want to write a 10-page essay so i was like can i make a movie instead and she like was like oh, okay cool sure and i had literally no idea how to make a movie at that time uh and i just grabbed my dad's home video camera and i started shooting like a documentary about my high school's um, severe trash problem. Um, although my high school did not have a severe <laughs> trash problem. So like, I literally would like walk around during lunch and like videotape my friends eating lunch. I'd be like, Hey, do you mind instead of throwing that in the trash can, could you just throw it on the floor? And like, I would shoot it. And then like, I would, I would, I downloaded like this pirated ed editing software and I would kind of edit it. And I added, like, I was really into system of a down at the time. So I put a lot of system of a down music and like slow motion shots of people throwing their hot dogs on the grass. And I interviewed teachers, I interviewed students, and I kind of put this video together. <clears throat> and I remember, like, I narrated it, and the whole narration sounded like, Hooper High School has a serious trash problem. And it was so quiet and soft only because I was doing it at 3 a.m. and my family was asleep. 
And I put this documentary together and I, and my teacher was like, well, let's just screen it in class. And I, and I hadn't even thought she would do that. I thought she would just, you know, show up and watch it or whatever at home. And we screened it in class and it was kind of the first time I'd ever seen anybody watch something that I'd made ever. And to my surprise, like the students were like laughing at the right moments and they were kind of eyebrows raised at the right moments and like kind of quiet in the right moments. And it was just kind of this weird thing that like something I thought of and put together had captured this audience's attention. And the best part ever is the teacher loved it. The teacher was crying, by the way. Like literally she had tears in her eyes. And she's like, I'm going to show this every every year at our opening assembly so people know not to make our school <laughs> a trash a trash dump. And I ended up getting an A in the class. But to me, like that 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 idea of like you can make something and have people watch it and kind of be present was really powerful. Um, I started making little YouTube videos with my friends, kind of like poking fun. I'm, I'm Armenian-American, and I live in L.A. where there's a, there's a large Armenian population. So me and my friends would kind of make little skits, making fun of our parents out of love. And we put those on YouTube just to kind of share with our friends. I mean, I'm talking low-budget production, me holding the camera, no fucking like lighting. I'm laughing the entire time in the video. You can see the camera shaking because I'm laughing. <laughs> and then we put those on YouTube for our friends to watch, and then literally – Within a week, it had like hundreds of thousands of views from all over the world of like random Armenians who had shared it with each other on MySpace. This is like 10 years ago. And and uh, and it became such a following that I was like, yo, let's just go make a feature. I wrote I wrote a movie called My Big Fat Armenian Family. Literally, again, pirated Final Draft. Sorry, Final Draft. I will definitely pay for it one day. Uh, and basically, like, we just, I wrote a movie about how like, you know, Armenian people, Armenian parents growing up, I mean, you know, raising their kids in America have this culture clash between their kids who are Americanized and their parents who are old fashioned. I directed, edited, produced. I did every single job on the movie except for makeup. And then the makeup artist quit. So then I did that too. Uh, and we spent $800 on this thing. And when it was done, I found a high school that would screen it there for free. I sold tickets, I sold DVDs. And within a month, I made an insane amount. I made $100,000 in just selling tickets and DVDs. Wow. to this hungry Armenian audience who just, they don't have any content made for them. So they all showed up. Um, it was like the black Panther effect, like at maybe like a fraction of a percentage. Yeah. Um, and, and it was kind of like that same feeling, like seeing the complete audience full of strangers now with thousands of people instead of 15 who were just like enraptured and engaged. And it was just something like, wow, like I thought of that. And, and aside from the financial success, it really was like that feeling of like, creating content for audiences that I got addicted to. And I was like, I'm going to chase this high my whole life. And that's kind of what got me into, uh, that, that's what inspired me and empowered me to, to apply to film school. And I got into USC where I met a niche. That's awesome. Can you talk about uh, a little bit about what it was like meeting a niche and then becoming writing partners? Yeah. Um, I was, when I was at USC, I was a TA as a, when I was a student there, I would kind of TA to kind of make some money and kind of, you know, meet more people. Um, and I was a TA in this producing class, uh, which Anish happened to be in only because Anish being a director, um, USC has this thing where to direct the thesis film as an undergrad, we have to first kind of do this other class. So, um, when I was TAing this class, there was always this one student who was incredibly talented and really well-spoken, um, and honestly, everyone's like, oh, this, this kid's going to become somebody. That wasn't a niche, by the way. That was somebody else. So I, was, I was trying. I, was, I wish I worked with. But I was uh, the other kid. I was the guy next to that guy. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so there, and then we had a niche. who was kind of like this, like, wisecracking, smart-ass kid who, like, always had something, like, you know, some, some comment to make on any given thing. 
but he was a hard worker, man. And his film that he that he produced was fantastic. It was my favorite of the bunch. And more than anything, I think Anish and I read. Like, we barely interacted, as far as I remember, Anish. Right? But like, I just yeah, remember, like, 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 oh, go for it. We, we like really like we, we we like always were on the same page creatively, but we never worked with one another because like I was work, we were like I was in class to make another movie, and he was like the essay involved with it. It's like not he really missed <laughs> that movie. Um, but like, you know, he that was like fall of 2012 and base and, 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 and basically January of, Oh, that was the fall semester of 2012 in January of 2013, you know, Sev kind of, he, he had just co-produced a movie called Fruitvale station, which was, which was a huge hit. Um, and basically like he comes back from Sundance having won, you know, both, I think the grand jury award and the audience award at Sundance, uh, with, with that film. And I remember all of the undergraduates being like, okay, this guy is the real deal, referring to Sev. And I, and me being like, okay, I have to find a way to work with him, like, actually, because, like, this, this might be a, a, a very smart, smart move that I make uh, if I can do this. Um, and so basically, like, I remember emailing him and just being like, hey, dude, like, you know, you know like, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you want to grab a drink or whatever? And, and again, we had a relationship. It wasn't, like, super, super tight, but, like, we, we liked each other a lot. Um, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. So I took him out to drinks. And, and, and basically, over these course of this, the drinks, I came in prepared with, like, five feature movie pitches in my head. And I just basically told myself, like, whichever, whichever idea, whichever pitch that Sev responded to the most, I would just tell him it's my favorite and just see how far that got me. Um, and basically like I pitched five ideas and he liked one of them and I was like, Oh, that's so funny. That's, that's kind of like my favorite idea. <laughs> you guys were all clear on this, right? Like that he basically deceived me <laughs> and lied to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm phrasing it very nicely, but yes. Well, uh, you made it, a propaganda trash film. So I, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Good point. laughs> it, uh, so we basically, yeah, once kind of you know, like, Seb really liked that idea, and I was obviously, like, it was an idea I liked, it just, the response was, like, yeah, it's my favorite. Um, we ended up sort of, like, talking to each other a lot about it, and slowly and slowly, the talks became more ideation, it became less, like, advice, and more, like, just pitching each other creative ideas, and then soon, we just realized, like, we were writing the movie together, and when we wrote the movie together, that was that project that I was talking about when I left, when I left USC, because I graduated in 2013, we were spending those eight months kind of, like, in coffee shops writing, um, so like that was that first idea and, and that was the sort of first kind of real project that Seven and I kind of took on together, um, at first as co-writers and then, you know, Seeds, which is the Google Glass video was the, the first project that I think we interacted or worked together as, as producer and director respectively. So, so the, the idea that, that he liked, was that, was that searching? No, no. it wasn't. It was. It was a $95 million action adventure movie, <laughs> uh, that, that two unknown writers really had no strategic reason uh, to write, uh, apart from both of us just really liked those ideas and were like, yeah, we should totally do that. Um, so it was a big, it was a great, like, sort of, it, it was part wake up call, part lesson, part, like, you know, R&D, I guess, uh, as far as, like, not only... How, what we should be writing in the future, how to write with one another, but most importantly, like what to not do in the future, um, especially considering the fact that we were at the time, you know, at least for me, and, and Sam, I know this as a writer, like just unknown properties that like we hadn't made anything that anyone had seen before. Like we needed to kind of build small instead of starting, you know, at a budget that pretty much only Disney could finance. Mm hmm. 
So I'd love to talk a little bit about searching. Could could you guys maybe talk about your process, what it was like writing that film? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just just to give you the context, like like Anish mentioned, I had this meeting with this company, or I, I don't know if Anish mentioned this, but I had a meeting with this company that had produced a movie called Unfriended, which is also a like computer screen kind of movie. It was a very successful movie for them. And that meeting, long story short, led to me bringing in Anish. We pitched um, the idea of searching as a short film, like an eight-minute short, because they were looking to make some shorts that would take place on computers, and who better to direct that than Anish? And and ultimately, they're like, you know, like, hey, we're not going to do the short. We'll do the feature. You guys write it. Seven, you produce. Anish, you direct it. We'll finance it. And although it took some convincing, especially on Anish's part, because he had no intention of ever directing a movie that takes place on a computer screen, we ultimately came onto the project, and now we have this task in front of us, like, to write a feature, full-length feature film that would have emotions and tension and thrills and be engaging that took place on a computer screen. And then once we figure that out, we have to figure out how to help the direct it and produce it also. That's kind of the quick backstory. Um, and I think from the very beginning, I think one of the things that makes Anish and I work well together um, as director and producer, but also spe specifically as writers, is that we, I think we have a really, we have this, we both have a strong grasp on story or at least the same kinds of story. I think growing up, both of us, um, I mean, I think we've compared, I think both of us read a lot of books as kids. Um, we've obviously seen a thousand movies together, you know, together and apart. We, 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 we I, I especially read a lot of screenplays. And I think for us, like, we can have conversations <laughs> when we're trying to break down. <laughs> I break especially down. have read a lot of screenplays. Right. Anish has read three screenplays. He's read three screenplays, every one of them written by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I mean, I don't need you. Well, how do we start the process? I'm trying to remember, like, what was step one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that, listen, everybody has a different way of writing. I think the way that we kind of have collectively and individually always wanted to work is very, very step-by-step. Step. There are writers who kind of, like, go straight to final draft and start writing and start chopping and sculpting right there. That's not how we work at all. Um, what we do generally is we try to build it up very, very, very step-by-step. Step. Um, the first thing that we'll do in a story is literally draw a line out on a piece of paper and be like, okay, what's our midpoint? What's our break to three? What's our break to two? What's our inciting incident? And just basically like until we get those points, um, and I'm a huge personal, per like, uh, like, like, and obviously, I, I mean, I think the, the, the argument is there and I'm sure Seb kind of gets behind this, but like, I, I really think like, the, the second that you have a movie with a strong midpoint, like you're almost good to go. The other ones kind of yeah. all, all the other plot points fall into place. Absolutely. I think the, the midpoint is your most important beat. Um, but once we have that, then we'll sort of like start to understand, okay, what's the status quo? What are basic things that are happening in this act and this act and this act and this act? And then we'll go to a beat sheet. Um, so we'll basically open up an Excel document um, or a, a, a Google Sheets um, and basically literally on your, uh, what's it called, rows and call, like each row would be, you know, there'd be a row called status quo, part one, status quo, part two, inciting incident, debate, break to two, uh, fun and games, part one, fun and games, part two, midpoint, you know, uh, bad guys close in part one, bad guys close in part two, break to three, uh, dark night of the soul, uh, or that's before that, and then a climax and epilogue. So like it, it, all of that, by the way, is is our, our is terminology stolen from Save the Cat, which is a, basically our Bible um, that we sort of like, uh, and we really see eye to eye on as, as far as story goes. But like we basically make that sheet, 
and then start populating it and making sure that most importantly, like our beats are there. The last thing that we work on is dialogue. That's the thing that only touches on, on, on final draft. So we'll basically spend, I would say, I mean, on, on, our, on the, our most recent project, which we're trying to find a home for literally right now and today um, is like, we spent a few months, I would say, perfecting the beat sheet and making sure that every single beat in every scene, like read like an actual beat, everything was like a, a proper but then, but then, but then in a scene as opposed to an and then, and then. And once we felt happy with that, normally we would expand it into an outline. In this particular last project that we did, we didn't. We just went straight to the screenplay because it was such a bare bones concept. Um, and basically from there, you know, you, I will usually do a version of a first pass. If it's one page, that will come back with like 85 notes. Um, and like we'll together start sculpting those with each of those 85 notes and sort of like sculpting it into that project that is the best version of what both of us see. But it's constantly a back and forth at every single stage. And really like getting to the final draft aspect of it is the last, last part. And even when we've pressed save as and on a final, final export that we have spent, you know, like, 11 or 12 months or 10 months, nine months, whatever on, that's when the feedback starts, which is Seb's actual, Seb's favorite part. Yeah, I mean, and, and also one thing to note about like everything Anisha is saying, like we feel this pressure when we're writing, like it's never relaxing, it's always fun, but there's like this weird like, okay, well we have to finish this chapter today, so we can do that chapter tomorrow, even though it's all kind yeah. of arbitrary, like we're not, we're not turning it into anybody, no one's really asking for it, but I think that drives us more than anything. Like yeah. oftentimes, like if we couldn't meet on a particular day for whatever reason, we'll like get over the weekend to make sure we don't fall behind. And I think that that idea that we're partners, but we're also pushing each other really helps keep up that momentum. Because I know sometimes that's the hardest thing as a writer is feeling that pressure. Um, and then, yeah, like Anisha was saying, like once we get to the point that we have a really strong draft that, you know, I feel like our first drafts tend to be pretty developed because kind of each of us are, are each other's biggest critics. And we're kind of like always criticizing everything the other person does and as a result that it always kind of ends up being the best of all worlds we do this really intensive feedback process and i think for me I, you know i was kind of a junior producer starting with fruitvale and a couple of other movies i did in the years following that i would be in feedback screenings um that you know our lead producers are running and i'd kind of be sitting in the back of the room as they're asking questions like you know questions that you would ask in editing feedback screening but also they weren't asking a lot of other questions. And I'm like, oh, why are we not getting to the bottom of this? And most importantly, they'd be asking questions and receiving in input and feedback that we couldn't apply to an edited movie. Like, why did we not get this information six months ago before we shot the movie? So in that, in that, in the vein of that, what Anish and I do is when we send out our, our first draft, we'll usually choose like about five friends. We'll send them the first draft. And then when we when they read the script, we'll jump on a call with them for at least an hour. And in that call, Anish and I have actually already prepared probably about a hundred questions. Um, and they're general questions that are like, would you what was fast? What was slow? What was Seb good? has usually prepared a hundred questions. <laughs> I will have prepared about thirty to fifty questions. <laughs> uh, and together we will have about hundred and ten questions. <laughs> there you go. And like the questions are like three categories, general questions, which is like, you know, what'd you like, what'd you hate, what was fast, what was slow, what was confusing, all that stuff that you could pretty much apply to almost any movie. Then we have the macro questions. What do you think of this character? Do you think their arc made sense? Do you think this relationship made sense? This old, you know, this movie has a lot of elements of police stuff. Did the police stuff feel right? All that kind of stuff. Then my favorite stuff is the micro questions. And these are everything is, it's like there's about 70 questions that are really specific to each page. Page 17, what did you think of this moment? Did you, what did you feel? 
okay, cool. Did you feel this? Did you feel that? And like, and we literally go down to like certain lore, like, hey, did you understand that reference? And and that comes from me having been a producer now for about five years and receiving scripts all the time that are submitted to me to, to consider to produce. And I know that as, a, as someone who's going to read someone else's writing, the, the issue for me is like, what makes a good script is a script that keeps me engaged. And so often I'd be reading a script and like, there'll be a, a, something that felt off, a beat that was muddy or confusing or something that had a lack of clarity. And I know that every time that happens kind of hurts my read. And part of our design of Nisha and I is that we want to make scripts that will read like butter, that will never have any moments that bump for anybody. And, and the way we do that is by literally testing it on people who we trust, who are writers, producers, directors, and 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 and, and also we, we send it to a lot of people who are not film people. But basically our goal is to make sure that by the time we've, we've done a couple of drafts and done all this feedback, we can feel confident that this script will be read by you know producers or studios or whoever and they won't feel any moments of bumps and confusion and, and any lack of clarity. And that's kind of, that's kind of the idea, especially of those micro beats. Awesome. I, I, so let's talk about, let's talk about production itself. I mean, how, what are some of the challenges and hurdles that you come across filming something that takes place entirely on a, on a computer screen? Like what are, what makes that, the filmmaking process different and unique? Like what are some things maybe people wouldn't even think of? Um, well, the thing that I like to, the, the, the easiest sort of like verbal phrasing that I could get for people to sort of understand how fucking ridiculous it was to make this movie is basically like, it's a lot like making an animated movie and then shooting a live action movie and then putting the live action movie within the animated movie and then continually refining the animated movie for about another year and a half. <laughs> so like literally what we did was, if you guys haven't seen the film, I'll, I'll just give like a quick two second about it. it, it the movie's called Searching and it's, it's about a dad who, it's a very classic thriller told in a very unconventional way. And the sort of classic thriller part about it is that it's about a dad whose daughter goes missing and he tries to find her and he tries to look for clues to find her. The unconventional part about it is that the whole movie sort of takes place on the screens and the devices that we use every day to communicate. So, like, he breaks into his daughter's laptop to look for clues to find her, and those whole sequences are just told on his daughter's laptop. So it's like a really, really weird way of just jumping into a story that you have seen a thousand times before, but hopefully by presenting it in a totally, hopefully fresh way, it'll feel fresh as a, as a whole to audiences. A huge aspect of, of, of a huge challenge of shooting that is it's it's twofold number one it's like our camera in the movie isn't like the movie isn't a locked off on a wide of a desktop the entire time you don't see the entire there's a camera like going left and right and super close-ups like you can have super super close-ups and the camera can like whiz away to the other part of the screen we could jump years in time we could make like do time jumps jump cuts and like make it be a very emotional and cinematic experience so that adds like two problems number one is figuring out how to shoot what we're going to shoot because with two cameras, like there's essentially two cameras in the movie. There's the camera of all of the footage that's being presented in the world of the movie, like the YouTube clips, the the Skype cameras and all that stuff. And then there's the camera that we, the filmmakers, are seeing it through. So like we needed to understand how those two interact with one another. So basically what we had to do was literally seven weeks prior to even getting on set, the first people that we hired on the movie were actually the editors and not anybody else. Like the editors were the first people we hired and they, when they got to set, they, it was like a, they basically got to a empty premiere timeline and we're just like, okay, start. And they just started screen capturing the internet and 
framing shots and doing text messages between each other, screen recording and putting it together. And by the end of seven weeks, we had an hour and 40 minute cut of the movie starring me playing every single role in the movie, mother, daughter, father, brother, like (laughs) all of the friends, everything like that. Did you put on wigs? What? Did you put on wigs? (laughs) Say that again. I literally didn't hear that. I was just kidding. I asked if you put on wigs. Yeah, exactly. No, it's actually my, my, the best performances I've, I've given uh, (laughs) to date. Uh, you lived out your childhood dream of being an actor. Exactly. Wow. I may even switch. I may even switch back. That's how convincing I was. I want to um, see that movie. Yeah, Sev is, Sev is trying to get it on the Blu-ray or the special. <laughs> uh, That's my goal. That would yeah, be amazing. My goal, is to, my goal is to stop that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so basically, you know, it was really complicated, and, and we had to basically make sure that everybody, especially the actors, knew what we were making because John Cho, who plays the the father whose daughter goes missing it's his computer he's it's his cursor movements that we're watching he's always the one operating the computer screens that we're looking at the movie through so he as an actor whenever you see the camera and and whenever the skype camera turns on his eye line has to perfectly match every single button that his cursor presses so we basically needed to know every single button and piece of ui and how long things take to load like almost every aspect of his performance we needed to know how how like where he needed to be and every point that he needed to hit seven weeks before he even shot the, sh- the shot the movie. So that was like the first massive challenge of it. And then the other challenge is once we shot that and once we put it back into the cut and like once we dealt with like basically our computers dying every hour and a half and losing 20% progress for the course of a year and a half after we creatively locked the film, then it became a matter of like upresing all of the graphics and like making them actually belong in this movie. I think one of the things that we could have easily done if you watch the film was like literally just kind of fill in some bullshit for all the stuff on the sides, all the finder windows and the Gmail windows and the text message boxes and all that shit. But like we didn't, we wanted the movie, like if you pause the movie, you should be able to like learn more about the movie. So essentially what we did was spend another almost five or six months just working on copy. Just every single thing in this movie, if you pause it on the sides, is relevant information to the movie. There are six storylines happening simultaneous to the main plot of the film that if you were to pause it, you could follow the characters and see what they're going on in, in their own little in their own little storylines. There's like stuff that relates to the movie, stuff that doesn't relate to the movie, stuff that definitely doesn't relate to the movie that Seb may want to talk about later. Uh, <laughs> stuff that stuff that uh, <laughs> um, you know, like all different aspects of it uh, that we kind of had to put together. But it was like. It's hard to describe because it was like, honestly, and I think, and I think, and I think once the movie comes out, both seven and I will be on the front lines doing this. But like, we want to make sure that the editors kind of get as much accolades as they can from this because, like, they, like what they did is like genuinely and like, you know, so I've been a part of many, many movies, and I've obviously this is my first one, but you know, I I have some sort of idea of how movies are made, but like, this is unlike anything from an editing standpoint that's ever been done before. And like it was two editors in one tiny room over the course of two years, just believing in a dream and like having us try to convince them that what they were doing was something really awesome. So it, it, it's, it's a hard movie to talk about how we made it because there's so many different stages to it. But it was took place over a lot of time and, and, and I, I think with some solid teamwork. I mean, what I guess how, how were you guys able to see this? like to have the vision that you're going to be able to pull this off. I mean, you talk about encouraging your editors, but like, I get, I'm just, you know, I'm curious, like every day you're waking up and you're doing something that's never been done before. What, what were you kind of, what was your approach to 
just keeping focused and, and believing every day that this was, this was something that could be done. Huh. Man, I don't know. That, that, that gives us too much credit, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, was there a lot of doubt think, like, along the way? No, I don't think there was any doubt in ourselves or in our team. Certainly not. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I think like just to speak about the business as a whole for a second, I think like what's happening with independent film, the fact that it's cheaper than ever to make and that there are more more avenues to release independent films than there's ever been. Um, have have been so good for for filmmakers, and I think as a, but as a result of that, as a natural consequence or evolution of that, there are more movies being made now than have ever been made at any given time. And and you know, as an independent producer, and I kind of came up, you know, jumping from movie to movie and kind of working my way up the producing chain. Um, there's a serious thing that happens where people will spend years making a movie that might come out and have very little fanfare and not have money behind its release. And people, more than anything, people can't find your movie because there's a thousand other movies to watch and not to mention video games and so forth. What gave us courage and what, what, what kind of dro drove us a lot was that we knew at the very least with our independent film that we were making something that no one had ever done before. And, you know, there was any, there was any chance that we could have failed. Um, but I think the fact that everybody invested in this film from and I'm talking about editors, ourselves, our producing partner, our crew, our actors, certainly like everybody knew that this was going to be something different. Um, so as a result, I think like it kind of made us more dedicated than ever. And we didn't feel that pressure as much as I think we could have because we knew at the end of the day, like we were going to do something totally different. Um, I think like we had a really strong like collective vision. I think Anish was our leader and he, he I think he probably knew what we were doing more than the rest of us, but it was like, like, hey, everyone kind of like took took parts of the responsibility and they, and they really cared. I mean, like, like Anish mentioned, the way our editors care, the way our producer partner Natalie cared, like everyone really gave a shit and, and kind of like as a whole, it kind of worked. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now, Anish, what, what do you think? No, I, I, it, it's true. Like there's, with a movie like this, it's, it's really hard to say it is my movie. You know, like it, it's, it's not. I think everybody has ownership, especially with the five people that Seth just talked about, like, me, Nat, Sev, and the two editors, Will and Nick, like, and in the large sense, everybody in the crew, in order to make this movie good, you, everyone has to own this movie. You know, like, it's not like, like, oh yeah, I can just phone it in and it'll be, it'll be fine. Like, everyone has to own this movie and understand that their jobs are going to be different on this film. That, like, the way that they approached every single problem on a previous film is going to be different than the way they have to approach every single problem they had here and will be unlike any problem that they have moving forward because hopefully no one has to go through the hell of making a movie on a computer screen again. Um, but, like, basically, like, it was, it was such a team, team effort and there's no aspect of it that, 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 you know, that, that together as a team we couldn't solve. Were there moments of doubt? Yeah, personally, there were for me. Like there was, I remember the first day that 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 that, that the editors worked on that temp cut, like the temp, temp, like, you know, version starring me, the day one. And I remember Will and uh, Nick showing me some work that he had made. And like, you know, in, in these movies, what you want to do at, when you're making these early versions, like to find a creative cut is like, you want to frame everything in a wide shot. You want to make the wide shot first so that you have ultimate flexibility moving forward to just sort of zoom in and like cut to your shot that you want instead of having to reframe and redo and recreate a shot every time you wanted to punch in. So like, I remember seeing a scene that we ended up actually cutting, um, you know, while on the first day of, 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 of 
working with the editors and I remember watching the scene and like Nick presenting it to me as like a scene and I was just like oh my gosh what have we just what is happening right now like what have we done like we just decided to make a movie on a computer screen is it all going to be like this and I think I don't think there was ever a single day where I felt as disheartened as that first day because by day two it was like we had one punch in and I was like oh wow that felt good that little shot change uh and all of a sudden it started to be better than that but like there was a lot of moments because it was just there was no end in sight oftentimes just because of the technical complexity of this movie and and to sort of like it was a good thing we were doing it together as a team because we all sort of like picked each other up when when we needed it so you guys film premiered at sundance so you you finished this film what, what was that like to have to get into sundance uh it's probably a little different for me versus sev but it's probably also just as awesome for sev um but because I'll, Sev, Sev's had a few movies there, and, and, and this is all, but this is obviously his like first true TV. Um, for me, I mean, I, I, I've said this before, but like the first time that I ever found out about Sundance was like watching Entourage. Um, and, <laughs> and like, you know, like there was that episode where they go to Sundance and like you know, they, they have whatever, they're at little adventures there. Uh, and I remember being like, what the hell is this thing? And I like Googled it, and like I found out all about these filmmakers that I already knew. And how so many of them had their careers like start at Sundance or because of these indie films. I remember checking out their films, reading interviews and like realizing how many interviews that I had read or watched that took place at Sundance or were in the context of a Sundance film. And I don't know, like it, it, and it, it's just a dream. It's hard to like describe it more than more than that. You know, like I, I remember premiering at we premiered the first weekend at, at Sunday on Sunday night and, you know, it was a 6 p.m. screening and like. I had was so nervous, you know, I know, like it was so nervous. And I remember afterwards we were at the after party for it and literally like we could tell people really liked the movie all of a sudden. I was like, okay, this is awesome. Is anyone going to buy it? And immediately like an agent, like 45 minutes into this party, okay, we have to go, we have to talk. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, we have to go. And basically like in that moment, we literally left our own party went to a cabin where it became a war room um that was a war room that was basically active for the next like seven hours eight hours and we ended up closing the deal for the sale because we had a little bit of a bidding war for it uh by 6 45 a.m the next day uh for worldwide distribution to sony and it was just like the whole time it's just like it was happening so quickly obviously we put years of work into this thing but like within the course of 12 hours like everything was happening like our dreams were like like being realized in front of us so it's it was it was extremely surreal and very very uh sleep depriving um but you know it's been it's been awesome to sort of like the best part about it for me is that people suddenly give a shit about what we're working on next like and that to me i never was i, I don't think i would have been able to like formulate that thought but ultimately I, ultimately, I think that's all that matters in this industry is that, like, someone cares about what you want to do next. And, and, and we're seeing that now. And so hopefully if we can make another good movie, like, we can keep this trend going of just like, okay, one more. Another one, you know? Totally. Well, I mean, Sev, I know you've, you've been there before and, and had a lot of success in, in festivals in general. I'm just curious, what, what kind of advice uh, would you give to filmmakers just – not only Sundance, but festivals in general, like what are other than just having it be a good film? I mean, what, what do you think judges are looking for or how can you be successful in the festival circuit? 
Uh, I think, like, first and foremost, like, this is, this is going to sound unrelated, but I think any filmmaker should just go to Sundance, period. Like, make sure you're out there um, as, a, as a film fan, as just somebody who loves movies, and experience it, get a sense of it. Um, there's this weird notion I've heard that people go, like, I'm only going to go to Sundance or Cannes or whatever festival want to have a movie playing there, and I think that's so wrong. You want to make sure that you want to be there on the ground, because when you do have a movie there, inevitably, you're going to you're going to love that fact you've already been there. But as far as like getting your films in, I mean, look, I'm not the expert on that. I've been really lucky that I've had four features um, play at Sundance in the past six years. Um, I think every single time I've like been convinced we're not going to get in. I mean, even with searching, like I think people love to go like, yeah, of course you guys were going to get to Sundance. You guys won all those awards. And we had no clue, you know, like you just have no idea how, how it works. Uh, yeah. um, I think uh, obviously make the good movie, but um I think in, in, in developing films, uh, I think like, I'm just going to be super practical for a second. I think, I think your podcast listeners would appreciate that. I think having a cast makes a big difference. Um, you know, like I'm a very data driven kind of person, as you probably can tell from, from my neurotic way of getting feedback. Uh, look at all the films that have been accepted in the past couple of years. Um, I think it'd be hard to ignore the fact that even the movies that play in some of the smaller categories, like the next category, like, um, have actors have like have major movie stars sometimes if not tv stars if not respectable character actors in these leading roles um and i think that's gonna make a big difference um i think i'm not saying that sundance specifically only wants to accept movies that have stars in it i don't think that's the case at all i just think you can't deny that there's a correlation those are the movies that tend to get in totally um so that so that goes back to like when you're putting it together like have a strategy to get big actors whether that is having more money or whether that's having access or whatever it's going to be um I personally think it's always great to partner up with a sales agency um, when you're submitting to Sundance. And, you know, for anyone who may not know, a sales agent is kind of like lit agents represent writers and directors, um, talent agents represent actors. And there is, you know, there's all the agencies and, and there are a lot of agencies that do specifically sales agencies like they represent movies um, and they work with producers to help find homes for your movie um, when it's been made already. And, uh, you know, I think part of it is like when you're submitting a film to a festival, you can go through the proper channels always. But every now and then, um, you know, if you have people on your team, whether it's bigger producers that have their own connections to anybody who's at that festival or specifically if you have a sales agent who has had movies um, play at the festivals in the years past that have done really well for the festival, that have had big deals, that have helped give prominence to that festival. These are all people that can help kind of put a word in. Um, I don't I don't personally believe anybody telling a Sundance programmer is going to make them more likely to accept your film. But I do think that just having those conversations will at least make sure that they watch the film or pay attention to it um, and make sure that it gets at least the full um, visibility. Again, I'm sure that everybody at Sundance watches every film, but I just think all of those things are little things you could do to help. Um, and I think my biggest advice for people to get their movie into Sundance is that it doesn't matter if your movie doesn't get into Sundance. There are so many other festivals that you can launch films from. Entire careers have started from any number of festivals. Sundance just happens to be the splashiest one in America, but it's by, by no means is it the only one. Especially like if you have a smaller film that doesn't have a super big cast, um, or maybe wasn't a huge splashy budgeted film, you may even be better off at a smaller festival that you, will, you won't get lost in the buzz of what's happening at Sundance. So I think that's, that's gotta be super key. And I think there's a really weird business model that we're all in that like, especially from the investors perspective, that like, we're gonna finance these movies and make these movies. And you know, if you, if you run a business, you have 365 days to like create revenue for your product. 
if you're an, if you're a film financier and you're making a small independent film, if you're only thinking the only way we're going to make money on this film is if we premiere at this one exclusive festival, that's crazy. Like you cannot use that as a business model. So my advice is do your best to get into Sundance, make a good movie, attract a good big cast. Hopefully your movie is something new and it's kind of something different to say. Have producers and the sales agents who have an, you know existing relationships who can at least nudge them to make sure they watch the film. But at the end of the day, if you don't get in, have your backup plan. It is the least end of the world thing that could ever happen to your film. So, so you guys told a very unique story, um, and you guys talked about it even searching being possibly a short film originally. What do you guys think is like the future of, of filmmaking as far as length? Do you think there's going to be more of this short and medium content, or do you see, think there's still a place for for feature length project, projects? Ooh. Uh, I mean, I think it's I think it's undoubtable that it's changing. I mean, I think even the way we cons- like watch TV is uh, just using TV as an example. Like, I remember I used to watch every episode of Lost and then, like, spend a week, like, on Lostpedia.wiki and Reddit and, like, all these forums, like, debating what's happening and then can't wait for the next next week. But nowadays, like, you just watch a TV show and you oftentimes, if it's, like, a streaming platform, you're consuming, like, 15 episodes in one weekend sometimes. And I think that has naturally changed things. Um, I, I think, like, I really want to hear Anisha's thoughts on this is I think he's got a, he's, he's, he has a tap on what's changing in the industry. But I think personally... I'm always gonna love old-fashioned movies that you just seen in a movie theater. I mean, yeah, I think I same. I, 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 our goal, I think, is to make very like hopefully things that we kind of grew up watching. Um, yeah, it feels like everything is it, it, it is changing, but I, I, my big kind of thing is I don't think I think there will be more ways to consume, but like they won't be in direct competition with one another. Like for example, like I think. Um, like a lot of people were talking about like VR, you know, and have been talking about VR as this like the next thing. Like everyone should switch over, you know. Like there was a big thing for the last like two years. I I feel like it's quieted down for a little bit, but like two years ago, it was like, dude, if you're not doing VR, like you're not switching over, like you're fucked. You know, you're like you you've got to be coming up with VR stories. This is where everything is going. And like ultimately, I think what people what I what I'm realizing is that like every one of these new sort of like avenues for storytelling, they don't necessarily have to compete with one another. I think what'll end up doing is like the quantity of each single thing will kind of drop down a little bit, but there will be plenty of opportunities for people to like you're not gonna like lower the demand for somebody to see a movie. Like I think movies are sort of like so like crazily like in people ingrained in people's culture that they will there will always be movies. But there'll also always be like ultra short form content which is starting to become popular like i know there are plans for people to make like big kind of platforms for that shit and like you know there are things that are getting shorter like their mid-form content stuff on youtube i don't know it's just like i think like there's just every day there's just going to be more and more different ways to consume stories but they're not necessarily going to kill one another out part i uh, yeah that's about as intelligent an opinion as i have on that not having studied it Totally. No, I, I, I think I have to agree. So what, what's next step for you guys? What is, what's the future hold for you two? Um, for Seb and I, uh, together, I think that we just, I think we were talking about it briefly as sort of how we write, but you know, the feature that we wrote, uh, we're really at this moment trying to find a home for it. So hopefully in the next week or so, or, you know, the next, next upcoming week, we'll have some sort of announcement um, if we find a home for that, uh, which looks pretty good so far. Um, what we can say about it is that uh, it's another thriller. 
It does not take place on computer screens. It involves very little technology. Um, <laughs> and like most of our thing, stories have, have been in the past, it, involve, it is about ultimately a parent and child relationship. Uh, but this time, unlike being, you know, usually we tend to go very like emotional and gooey and like, oh, that's so cute. It's like this one's going to be probably the darkest thing we'll ever make. Um, but we should figured we'd try that once and see how it goes. Nice. Um, well, cool. I mean, the, the last thing we always like to end with is, is advice for, for young filmmakers or I think maybe something that it could be more than one thing, but something that you guys have, have learned or picked up along the way that you just think would have been really nice to know when you were starting out. Would have been, would have been nice to know. Yeah. I know now that I didn't know then. Exactly. Man, I'm gonna, I'll let I'll let Anish think on that while I just kind of give my 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 basic answer. Um, and I, you know, I've been teaching I've been teaching a film class at USC for the past couple of years that I just kind of walked away from. And and I think this is this is a big part of my class and a big part of what I always give as advice. It's probably the least sexiest advice you'll ever hear about how to make it in the industry, but I think it's so important. Um, I really believe in self education. Um, I think it's such a tough industry and there's like so many people trying to enter the workforce every year and you still have filmmakers like Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg releasing multiple movies every year and it's like there's no room for people to enter and I think what's going to set people apart um, as far as the competition out there is how much you've self-educated. I think there's so many books about writing, about directing, about the business, about financing I think before you go out and try and get people's advice, like inform yourself and arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can about the industry that is readily available online. Again, you can go to a library if you can't, if you don't want to, you know, buy or rent a book. Like you, there's so many ways to just, I mean, listen to podcasts like this. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Like the more you can prepare yourself by all of the very accessible information out there that when you start making your moves in the industry, I'll give a stupid example. When I was at film school at USC, um, I took a bunch of producing classes. And a number of those classes prescribed this, uh, uh, not, uh, not prescribed, but they basically had as required reading in the class a book called Shooting to Kill by mm-hmm. Christine Vachon. She's a producer, you know, multiple Oscar nominated producer, winning producer, like been around the industry forever. And it's a book that she wrote about producing independent films in New York in like the 80s or something. And almost every class like had his required reading. And I, I just kind of noticed, I'm like, well, like we, we're never going to talk about this book in class. No one's ever going to grade us on it. There's no tests on it. So why the hell am I going to go read this book? I can totally not even read the book and I'll be chilling. And I bought the book, by the way, like it was on my shelf and for multiple years, never read the book, never even cracked it, graduated from USC, got decent grades and it never mattered. And then I went off, I made a bunch of movies. I made a lot of mistakes, made tons of mistakes. And eventually I got asked to go teach at USC. And when I was preparing my producing class, I was like, okay, well, I have to have a book assigned. And they're like, okay, the producers usually have this book assigned. So I assigned to my own students that book. And then I remember like it was going to be my second class. And I was like, okay, the students are reading this book. I should probably read it if I'm going to be asking them questions about it, right? So I started reading this book and it blew my mind that this woman writing about producing 30 years ago that I thought would be irrelevant to the things that I'm trying to do today. It was so like relevant. It was so educational. It, I'm like, God damn, if I had read this book years ago, 
when I entered the industry, I would have been 10 times smarter than I was. I would have made half the mistakes that I did. And it genuinely was a complete like out of body experience of like how stupid I was, but I never fucking read that. And it was on my shelf. And it's kind of become like, it's a, it's a gift that I actually buy every director, every first time director I work with. I think I even bought it for a niche. Right? Did, I, did I buy the book or did I, did I loan it to you? I can't remember. Uh, um, it to me. And like, it's like, there's one chapter specifically that every director should read. And it's just like, it just, it's a perfect example of like, just to educate yourself. Cause when you enter the real world, you can kind of learn from the mistakes other people make. So you don't have to make them yourself. Totally. What was that? What was that book called one more time? It's called Shooting to Kill by Christine Vachon, V-A-C-H-O-N. Awesome. Everyone should add that to the reading list. Uh, my, 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 my advice is less detailed than that, and I think less thought out. But like for me, like just thinking about this now, I feel like as far as like wannabe filmmakers, I mean, like wannabe directors, you know, like like I think there's when I say wannabe, I'm just talking about like, you know, you're in high school and like, this is the, the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life. Um, like I think kind of growing up and, and, and like going to film school and stuff, you start to realize that there's like two camps, or at least when I was in film school, the thing that I saw was that like, ultimately there were like two camps of, of directors or filmmakers. There were the ones who were like really really into cameras and lighting and maybe making people look like do some awesome awesome stuff which is like great but there were people like heavily it was it was never a balance there were always people who were like crazy into that side and there were always the people who were like a couple of them who were like into like story and screenwriting i would say as like an early as like an early when you're getting early into the game pick the screenwriting side of it like i would say like study like how stories work and how like the beats of stories work because ultimately like i think the thing if i had to put my forte in either one of those camps it easily goes into story it easily goes into story like and and i think ultimately at the end of the day the other stuff will always be able to be informed by the story but you can't work the other way around and i think like that's one of the reasons why i think there are so many great directors out there who don't necessarily have good material is because they don't have that sort of basis in in in, in proper structure and I think that the tools to sort of speaking of self-education, the tools to sort of like gain that are so easy to access. Like I would literally just like open up, save the cat, download it on a PDF because you can find it for free or just buy it online or buy it on, in a bookstore and just like study the beats and like work in a very classic way. Like I, as much as you want to make different shit, like sometimes learning how to do something the, the, the quote unquote normal classic way is going to teach you how to iterate and make things different moving forward. But like, if you don't have that basis, I think like, I, I, I think it, it, it sets you a step back. But if you do have that kind of story understanding that natural instinct for story really like it, it opens up a lot of doors um, and allows you to get better in the other fields. Uh, whereas if you focus on the other one first, it, it may not. Awesome. I think that's, I think that's great advice. Well, thank you guys. That's uh, it's been a blast. Really informative for me. So, um, yeah, we're excited to see it. When is it come out in August? Is that what I saw? Yeah, it comes out August third. Awesome. So, so yeah, theater near you. Hell yeah! Well, that's so cool, guys. I'm I'm pumped for both of you. Looking forward to to seeing what you do next. And uh, thanks thanks again for doing this. It, it's been a blast. Thank you. Yeah, we're blast talking. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Keenan. Thanks, Kurt. All right. Have a good one, guys.
there you have it guys that was seven and niche i hope you guys enjoyed that chat i thought it was a super interesting one definitely a unique perspective that they've got and really excited to see where both of these two go in their careers i think they've got uh, a lot of big things coming so yeah best of luck to them go see searching comes out in theaters this august and yeah maybe we'll have them back on after the movies come out so we can talk about some more things specifically well yeah that's gonna do it for this week we will uh talk to you guys soon well you won't you can just listen but we'll be talking to you at at, uh on our podcast see you guys bye